What, do you read my mind? No, I'm joking. You already know. Lucy is born. She has arrived. So those of you who know Sean and Kelly, they had a baby girl named Lucy. She is precious and beautiful. And so, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, if you want to help with meals, probably not right away, but let us know. Let Debbie know. You can, I don't know. So we'll, we'll, you can help. You'll help. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Praise God. Uh, I was going to say something. I kind of feel funny preaching to, uh, you, some of you can't tell, Emma left her doll here. Her name's Emily today. The name changes all the time, but, um, but I kind of feel a little funny preaching to the doll. So <laughs> it's all good. Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. We've been there for a while. And then also Proverbs 3. You're gonna, we're going to turn to Proverbs 3 here in a second. That was kind of neat, praying for the nations. And uh, I, told, I, I asked Jen to lead us at, like at the last minute. I didn't make her, but I was like, Jen, I think it's, you got to lead. And the Lord gave her this word, I believe, from him. And, uh, and funny is Emily had the same picture in her spirit. She told me later. Isn't that amazing how the Lord will do that? The Lord will speak to more than one person, of course, right? That's, how he, that's often how he speaks, is to confirm his word and, uh, of just the, 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 the word of God going out and changing things. And, you know, there's something to be said for fervency, and sometimes fervency is loud and energetic and passionate. So that's sometimes why we do things like that. But that's not the power of the word, right? The power of the word is faith. I mean, it's God's power. I shouldn't, I, I, let me correct that. It's God's power, but faith in our heart and in our words. Uh, faith in our hearts it, to the Lord. <laughs> let me make sure I'm clear here. Don't want anybody to think we're at faith in ourselves. But anyways, what I mean by that is all throughout your week, you can just be blessing Israel. You can be blessing the nations in your car, at work, while you're watching the news. Don't just watch the news. Respond to the Lord, right? Turn it off for a second and say, so Lord, I lift that issue up to you right now in intercession. And just quietly, loudly, there are times we pray loud. I pray loud. Cry before God. And there are other times where I just whisper that prayer to the Lord. So you just got to know. Sometimes you do one, sometimes you do the other. All right. Well, I'm so proud of us as a church. I love you guys and uh, proud of how we're growing in the Lord. And thank you for when we worship, we worship. We give him glory. When we pray, we pray. And right now, when it's time to hear the word, are you ready to hear the word? Amen. Amen because that's why, that's why I'm proud of you. Because your hearts are open to the Lord. You guys are a church that hungers for God. And, um, you know, uh, I'm under no illusion that you're coming to hear me. You're coming to hear the word of the Lord. I believe. I know it's through me. But I know you're here because you want something from God. So, Lord, speak. So, in Luke chapter 6... Uh, Jesus says this, and we've been looking at it for a while here. He says, let's pull that up starting in verse 46. He says this to the disciples and of course to us, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? He says, go go to the next verse here. Come on now. You got it there? (laughs) He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And he starts off, whoever comes to me, hears my sayings, does them, I will show you whom he is like. And he goes on, of course, and Jesus talks about the one who comes to Jesus, does what he says, I'm sorry, comes to Jesus, hears his sayings, and does what he says, is like a man who builds their house on the rock. And he's talking about how to see a blessed and a secure life founded on Jesus, who's the rock, and of course his word. And he's calling us to be a people who follow him as Lord. When he says, whoever comes to me, 
hears my sayings and does them, he's telling us how to follow him as Lord, right? Now, this is what we've been learning. We've been in this series called Stewarding the Kingdom, and we've been learning how to come to Jesus, how to hear his sayings, and how to do them. Because what we've learned or been reminded of is that we're not the Lord, we're not the master, he is. And if he's the master, if he's the owner of our life, then we are the stewards or the managers. And our goal in life as Christ followers, who have acknowledged that we're not the creator, he is, and have acknowledged that we deserve uh, death because of our sin, but we have received mercy and grace because Jesus bought us with his blood, that we're not our own anymore. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, and you are not your own, but you've been bought at a price. Therefore, we who are Christ followers acknowledge that he is Lord, he is master, he is owner, and we manage what he has given to us gratefully, right, with thankfulness, we serve the Lord with gladness, but also faithfully, and that's what we're learning. The Bible says that a steward, what is required of a steward is faithfulness. So we've been learning to come to Jesus and hear his sayings and do them and to steward the things he's given to us. Very specifically, that we don't want to, we just don't want to be general, right? Well, Jesus is Lord of my life. But is he Lord of your money? Well, no. But he's Lord of my life. How can that be, right? Jesus is Lord of my life. Oh, but is he Lord of your marriage? Oh, no, no, no. That one's for me. How can that be then? If he's Lord of your life, he's Lord of everything, amen? That means your money, that means your time, that means your relationships, that means your marriage, that means your ministry, your work. Everything is from him, and therefore everything is for him, right? Like Colossians chapter 3 says in uh, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the call on a Christ follower's life. That's your purpose, to say, Lord, I'm going to live for your glory, and whatever I do, whomever I'm in relationship with, whatever, whenever I'm talking to somebody, whatever actions I do, they're done as a representative of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord, as a representative, saying, Lord, I represent you in your kingdom. How do you want me to manage this? How do you want me to steward these things you've given me? How might I bring you glory? And the great thing is we've learned, as you can see in Luke chapter 6, that if you'll do what Jesus says, if you'll be led by his spirit and live based upon the truths of God's word, what does he promise you? Blessing, right? That's what God has promised all throughout the word of God. God promises blessing if we'll follow him and walk in his ways. His promises of blessing are insanely big. But if we don't believe that he'll bless us, we won't obey, right? That's why the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. He who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we believe that God is good and that he'll do what he said, we'll obey him. And this is what the Lord wants. He doesn't just want Christians to live by wise principles. Principles can't love you. And principles don't forgive you when you mess up. And principles can't provide for you. But God, he loves you. He forgives you. 
And he promises to bless you no matter what other people do, no matter what the economy is like, if you'll do what God says, he will bless you. That's why he says, I'll show you whom he's like. He's like a man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storms come, he didn't say if. They said, he said, when the storms come, like economic trials or relational trials or physical trials, he says, oh yeah, the storm will come, but that house will not be shaken because they're so good. No, because that house was founded on the rock because they did what I said. So what happens when you make Jesus your Lord and you do what he says, he becomes responsible to provide for you. He becomes responsible. That's why you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack But if you're not obeying the Lord, if we're not stewarding the things of his kingdom, I don't think we can stand on that. And so we must diligently seek him and steward it. And today what I want to talk to you about, by the direction of the Lord, is I want to talk to you about stewarding our relationships. Stewarding our relationships. We've talked a little bit about stewarding our time. We've talked a little bit about stewarding our money. Not just that we would put the Lord first through tithes and offering, that's vital. But stewarding money isn't just about tithing and honoring the Lord with the tithe, which is the first 10% of our income. Bible says, but stewarding our money also involves how we make the money and how we spend the money as well. But today I want to talk about stewarding relationships, and we're going to turn to Proverbs 3 to begin looking at those principles for stewarding relationships. And so in Proverbs chapter 3, we'll just start in verse 1. We're going to read four verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 starts like this. My son, do not forget my law. But let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. I want to focus in on that verse 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so, as a result, and so, find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and people, man. Now think about that for a second. Think about this. How do you steward relationships? And even more than that, what specifically are you stewarding? When you're in a relationship, let's say your kids, let's say your marriage, let's say friends or family members or coworkers. When you're in that relationship, what exactly are you stewarding? See, so often, relationships are so ambiguous to us. And how to see blessing and favor in relationships are often eluding us. And confusing to us. We don't know why. We don't know what to do. We need wisdom from the word of God. Think about it for a second. When you're stewarding your time, what are you stewarding? What is the commodity? What is the substance that is, that is being stewarded? There's something you are stewarding. See, sometimes when it comes to your time, you know what you're stewarding because it's something physical or tangible even. It may not be physical, but it's tangible. When you're stewarding your time, there, it's minutes, isn't it? It's minutes in the day, is it not? It's hours. You have 24 of them in a day. What are you going to do with them? 
When you're stewarding your property, when you're stewarding things that you own, like your car or your house, what are you stewarding? There's something physical that you have to keep maintained, like oil in your car or something, and you know, you know if it's working well or not working well, right? What about your money? You know whether it's flourishing or not because it's tangible. What do you steward when you steward money? It's dollars, is it not? You see what I'm saying? It's the commodity. It's the substance. It's the thing that is being... It's the tool that's being used in order to be a good steward. Right? If you work faithfully and diligently, make an income, and you steward those dollars in the right way, according to the principles of God, and it brings blessing. You don't steward it, there's debt, there's struggle, fees. Right? It's tangible. With relationships, what are you stewarding? What is it that, if you will, is the commodity? I'm not saying that relationships are about a transaction. What's the substance? What's the thing that you're stewarding? And I'll suggest to you it's this. It's trust. That's the substance. That's the commodity that's being traded or handed back and forth in relationships. It's trust. Relationships are about soul to soul connections. They're about giving and receiving. Not unlike money, you can earn and you can spend and you can increase or you can squander. Same thing with time, right? You can steward that time well and you can increase and maximize and use it as a tool to get things done or you can squander it. And in the same thing in relationships, you can invest into a relationship by sowing into a heart, the heart of another person and build their trust or you can squander that trust, deplete the trust in the relationship, in their heart and end up bankrupt or in debt. Trust is the commodity, it's the substance that's being traded in relationships. And imagine the other person's heart like a bank. You can invest into their heart. You can deposit into their heart and build their trust. Or you can withdraw and deplete their trust. And if you invest and you build trust, it will lead to blessing and intimacy Favor, but if you withdraw and withdraw and withdraw, you will end up bankrupt with not, without intimacy, without the blessing, without the joy that it is we want. See, like many things in life, we want the blessing, but we don't understand the work it takes to cultivate the blessing. But if you want a tomato, you have to plant a tomato seed, Right? So what is it that you plant, that you sow, that you invest into the relationship, into the heart of another person, that it would produce the thing you want? We want intimacy. We want the blessing in relationships. We want favor, as it says here in Proverbs 3. 
We want favor, verse 4, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. We want favor. We want people to trust us. We want people's hearts to be open to us. We want to be connected to people, right? We want them to help us when we need help. We want them to love us. This is what we want, right? Favor with God or man is when a person is with you. They're on your side. Whenever you hear the word favor in the scriptures, you'll see it connected to these kinds of phrases that God was with them. God, they had favor and God was with them. God favors when somebody's with you. They're on your side. It means that they are favorably, favorably disposed to you. They've turned their heart towards you and opened their heart to you. It means that when you ask for something, they will do it. You, you, all, you all have felt this before, right? When somebody that you're in relationship with and the love is, and the trust is flowing and they need your help and they ask you for help, you, they almost don't even need to ask, right? You already are motivated to help them. You ever had a friend that's just going through something and you are there because you are so motivated to help them. Where did that motivation come from? Sometimes it's you just do it because God gave it to you, but... Most of the time, in marriages and in relationships with friends, there is something of what we call reciprocity. They have poured into you, you have poured into them. You have built some trust, you have built some rapport, you have, you have been there for each other. It's a give-and-take relationship, and when they need you, you are there, and you are motivated to do it. That is favor towards that person. But have you ever felt like somebody called you up and for the 20th time, and they are then asking you again, maybe it's because they're irresponsible, or maybe because they just need some help, but they have not been depositing into you, and have you ever felt like, oh, don't answer, don't tell me. Where you didn't have the motivation, and I know, you know, good Christians, we're all just supposed to do it, right? No, I'm just trying to give you an insight into your own heart, right? When you lack motivation, it is likely both the flesh, we'll get into that later, but it is because often your trust bank has been depleted. Maybe a person's asking you for something and they've not added to you and now you're like, oh, here they are again, asking again. Here, here, here they are dumping their problems on me. Are they ever there for me? It's natural for you to struggle with that, by the way. Now, what you do in response to that, I'll talk about here in a second. But it's natural for you to be like, oh, again? You don't have favor towards that person. They do not have your favor. <clears throat> We want favor. We want people to help us, be there for us, have their hearts open to us, intimacy, joy, love, friendship, listen to us. Favor. Favor. People here is saying that if you want faith, esteem, you want people to value you. Leaders, leaders, you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're a leader of an organization, maybe a boss. Do you want people to be drawn to your leadership, listen to you, do what you ask? See, leaders, it's not, I'm not talking about control here. I'm talking about rallying people around a vision and moving them forward. I'm talking about teachers trying to influence people, to students to learn. Do you want to influence? You want favor from them. You want them to open their hearts and receive your influence, even your own children. You want their favor. Parents long for honor. That's why it says to children, honor your mother and father, right? Honor them. We want honor. Honor. Do you want honor from your kids? Do you want influence as a leader? Well, have you built their trust? Honor 
will be the byproduct of you sowing, tr- building trust, investing into their heart. Influence, favor, value, them being attracted, drawn to you, will be an, a, a, a result of you pouring into that. How do you do that? It says right here, right? Verse 3, let, let, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This is one of the core verses, principles that God used to teach me some of these things. And I'm still learning. But notice how emphatic he is. Don't ever let them leave you. Meaning you're just like, nope, mercy and truth, you ain't going nowhere. Right? We want to go on a vacation. No, you're not going anywhere without me. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Wear them right here. And then literally etch them, write them into the tablet of your heart. Meaning you never forget it. You're constantly mindful, thoughtful. It's the operating system of your heart. It's what you do. It's how you respond to other people. It's the basis for your actions. And it's the way you react or respond to other people. Mercy and truth. What are these words? These words, mercy and truth. This is how you sow into relationship. This is how you invest into another person's heart. This is what will build trust in relationship. Adding to that person and open their heart and cause you to have favor. If you're not sowing mercy and truth into someone's heart, you're likely not going to reap favor from them. You see that? Do you see the connection? I didn't make it up. It's right there. The Bible. Love and faithfulness. Sow into it. You reap favor. Mercy and truth, or what I just said, love and faithfulness. Some translations say love and faithfulness. It comes from the Hebrew word, uh, the first word mercy comes from the Hebrew word chesed, and then the other word truth comes from the word emet. Chesed and emet. They're not twins, but they're like brother and sister. You don't usually see these words apart from each other, but rather working together. Chesed and emet. It's the very character traits of God himself. Exodus 34, God says, I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in chesed and emet, love and faithfulness, mercy and truth. No, I I don't have phlegm. That's actually how you're supposed to say it. Hey, I'm not Hebrew. I'm just trying, okay? So chesed, chesed is the word usually, like, like it says, translated love or mercy. It's talking about God's kindnesses in a covenanted relationship, oftentimes chesed is translated faithful love or loyalty. Because it's, about, it's a person, or, or it's a word that describes a person who is loving you unconditionally. Who's going to forgive you, love you, be there for you. They've made promises and they will keep those promises. It is referring to God's covenant faithful love that he shows us kindness and mercy and forgiveness and he's there for us, and he makes promises, and we cry out to him, and he answers our prayers, and he does it because he loves us, and he's made a promise to do so, and he will not stop. We like that about God, don't we? Emmet works together with that in the sense of faithfulness. He cannot lie, the Bible says. He will keep those promises, and he will never leave you nor forsake you, which means not just leave you physically, but forsake you means to turn one's heart away from. And so he sees God is one who will never turn his heart away but will love you unconditionally. Is that not what we all long for? To be loved unconditionally. To have a safe place where no matter how bad we are, there can be that forgiveness and that acceptance. Yes? That's who God is. 
It's who God is. And it's what we all long for in relationship. Like it says here, I don't even need to tell you this, but the Proverbs echo the very thing that we long for. It says here in Proverbs 16, 7. No, not that one yet. We'll go there in a second. Proverbs 19, 22. What a person desires is unfailing love. Same word, chesed. Better to be poor than a liar. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? Both of those proverbs are declaring what it is we all long for in another person. We long for in another person love and faithfulness. We long for that. It's what we want. It's what we need. And it's absolutely who God is. And of course, it is who we were created to be. We were created to be in the image of God. To be rich and overflowing in these, cons- on these, in these truths of love and faithfulness. It is how we are supposed to operate in relationships. Love and faithfulness. And so the Proverbs say, bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. This is how you and I are to operate. This is how you and I are to act in the image of God. To love and to be faithful. To show kindness and mercy in a covenanted faithful relationship where we keep our promises and we don't lie. This is how we build trust in relationship. This is how we gain favor. Amen? You tracking with me? And of course, this is what was destroyed at the fall, right? That when we rebelled against God, our relationship with God was shattered because of our unbelief and distrust towards Him. But not just our relationship with God, right? Our relationship with other people. Shame and brokenness, envy, the very second sin recorded in the Bible, was murder from one brother to another out of envy. And these things have invaded and corrupted and destroyed our relationships and made some things complicated. And yet the reality is, is that relationships are not complicated. They're dynamic. But they're not complicated. It really is that simple. Walk in love and faithfulness. And it will produce the kind of relationship that you want. Now, I'm sure that... uh, I'm sure at this moment, most of you are thinking about somebody else. You're thinking about how somebody has either loved you or not loved you with chesed. Some of you, you have such a reservoir of love because of your folks, maybe your spouse, And you're thinking about that, and you're grateful. But some of you, you're thinking about that one relationship that's strained. That one relationship where your needs are not being met. That one relationship where there's tension and friction and stress. It is interesting, isn't it? And if I'm wrong, you can just say, well, that's not me. But likely, most of you are thinking about somebody either physically or metaphorically next to you. Why is that? Because it's the fundamental flaw that keeps you and me from doing these verses. It didn't say that someone else should write love and faithfulness on their heart. It said you write love and faithfulness on your heart. 
Yeah? If you want your needs met, and if you want to see that breakthrough, and you want to see blessing and intimacy and favor released in that relationship, God says, you write love and faithfulness on your heart. Because whatever you sow, you will reap. Now I'm not saying that there's not a dynamic to that relationship where that person may or may not be doing what they are also responsible to do. So don't think that necessarily they're off the hook. But you are only responsible for you. And you are not responsible for somebody else or their actions or reactions to you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. That's what the scriptures say. Galatians chapter 6. Whatever you sow, you reap. So if you sow love and faithfulness, you will reap favor with God and man. Amen. I love this in Romans twelve eighteen. Such an important concept here. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends on you, you live at peace with all men, men and women, right? But so often we don't realize what depends on us. You are responsible for your words. You are responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your reactions. You are responsible for what you sow into the environment of that relationship, whether in your workplace, in your home, with your kids' hearts, with your spouse, in your ministry, in your business. You sow and you reap as much as depends on you. What depends on you? Love and faithfulness. If you read the whole context of Romans 12, which we won't do this week, maybe another week, you'll see, even if somebody sows evil to you, you respond with goodness, kindness. Why is that? Why did Jesus tell us, hey, turn the other cheek? Because you're responsible always to walk in love and faithfulness. Isn't that what God does? Isn't that what Jesus did? Did he not show us how to turn the other cheek? Did he ever retaliate? Did he ever speak death to somebody? No. Even, listen, even, let me say it a different way. He never rejected anyone. He kept his heart open to every single person, even the Pharisees. Did he ever say, don't want to go to dinner with you? No, he would go and sit with them, wouldn't he? He had dinner. We always say he was friend of tax collectors and sinners. But then we like diss the Pharisees. He was friend of Pharisee too. He sat with them. And he spoke words of truth to them out of love to correct them. Why did he do it? That they might wake up and repent. But did he ever relationally reject them? No. He offered them repentance just like anyone else. He kept his heart open to everyone because he walked in love and faithfulness. And he taught us that, and he called us to do it. <clears throat> kind of quiet in here. Let me say it again. By being a person of love and faithfulness, we invest into relationship, building trust, 
And it opens the heart of people to release blessing, favor, and intimacy. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What is he saying? He's implying this is love. This is love. Think about that for a second. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Do also to them. Do also to them. He's defining what love is, is he not? He's defining what love is. The two greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, which means, God, what what do you want? And to give him then the honor that is due his name, right? And then to love other people, to love other people, he says, as ourselves, which means when we love people as ourselves, it means we love them by giving them the very thing we think we need from them. Do you see how Jesus turns this around? Do you see how he takes the very core of the problem in our relationships? Let me just say what the Bible says, self-serving and self-seeking. And he says, that's not love. Love is other-focused. Love takes what's inside of you, the very thing you think you need in that relationship, the thing that you say they don't do, they should, others should, They don't. They don't. And he says, then do it unto them. The good part, not the bad part, right? If you don't want them to talk like that to you, then why are you talking like that back? But they, but they, but they, but they, but, but, but. What does Jesus say? As much as depends on you, you live at peace. You do unto them what you would also want them to do to you. See, it's really simple. Somebody serves the tennis ball, And the other person hits it back. And then the other person hits it back. And then we start arguing about, well, you hit the ball. Well, no, you hit it first. No, you hit it first. And you know what? When my wife and I are having an argument, we can't even remember who started it. Well, you served. I can't even remember now. We're just hitting it back and forth. It doesn't matter who served the ball. Don't hit it back. It takes two. Don't hit it back. You walk in love and faithfulness. You do to them what you would want them to do for you. See what happens? Follow me on that. You live your life in your shoes, seeing the world from your perspective, thinking about how everybody else should do stuff. And you make yourself God and judge, just like me. But what does Jesus say? You are not the judge. So get your your feet into someone else's shoes and ask yourself, well, what do they want? What do they need? And probably what they want to need is what you want them to do for you. So you say, I don't like it. I don't like it, right? When someone is critical to me. Well, then how about you practice? Maybe I shouldn't be critical, right? I, I don't like it when somebody says those things to me. And how about you don't say those things, right? And I really wish somebody would Listen to me. Well, then how about you go and find someone to be their friend and listen to them, right? Proverbs say, if you want a friend, be a friend. Some, some paraphrase. We need to shift 
out of a mindset of what people need to do for me. And we need to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No matter what other people do, we are called to love and to walk in faithfulness. No matter what other people do, we are called to live at peace with people as much as depends on us. Whatever people do, we are accountable before God and responsible before God to love like he calls us to love. Now, how do we, how do, we do this? I'm just going to say this really quick. One big thing is we need to receive love from the Lord and learn from him. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the goal of a Christian is not just to look like Jesus on the outside by following a bunch of rules but rather to be transformed from the inside out so that we actually love like he loves and walk in humility and gentleness like he does, right? And he's saying, oh, oh, are you burdened by trying to do it in your own strength and doing it by laws? And oh, do you have a problem walking in humility? Come to me. Isn't this what we keep learning? You'll come to me. Take my yoke upon you, his word. Take my yoke. I'll teach you. A lot of us, we're depleted, maybe from our upbringing, maybe from relations we've been in, and we're depleted. And the Lord wants to come and fill you up with his love. And he wants to transform you into a person that can trust him. You realize we don't trust God just because he's God. You know, honestly, right? if he was some tyrant, he's still the creator, but he's a tyrant, well, the Bible would call us to fear him and worship him or something, right? but not trust him. No, we we trust God because he's full of love and faithfulness. He wants you to come and receive from him his love, and he wants you to learn from him and let you heal him. I mean, let him heal you. Learn from me. Learn from me. Come to me. And the Lord wants you to learn love and faithfulness from him. See, one of the best things you could do is take the Word of God and meditate the Word of God into your heart and spend that time with the Lord and let Him love on you and heal you and teach you and train you. See, oftentimes, I'm not just spending time with the Lord, praying and reading my Bible. I'm spending time with Jesus and through the Word and meditating the Word and through times of worship, I'm connecting heart to heart with Him. He's the vine, I'm the branch. And His life is flowing into me. This is a real thing. It's not just like, oh, Lord, just teach me how to love and I'm on my own. No. Even as I'm meditating on what love is, the very life of God is being imparted into me. He's showing me how to love. He's giving me pictures. Okay, now, now, when, when you're with your family, okay, now, when you're with the people in the church, now do this, don't do that, do this. I can, he'll show me him loving people and show me how to love like that. I'll find the Lord literally imparting his heart to me. I'll find the Lord healing those places on the inside of me that causes me to not walk in the Spirit. The other thing is to walk in the Spirit. Like Galatians chapter 5 says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
Now, a lot of us, we think instantly that is referring to sexual things. It's not. The lust is the selfish, self-seeking desires of our flesh. That which wants to put us first and God and others last. In fact, Paul says exactly what they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, means causing division through things like gossip, jealousies, right? that would be envy, outbursts of wrath, means like when you yell and say mean, hurtful things to people, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You see what he's saying? He's saying those things are because you crave to put yourself first. And he says, but what does he say? Walk in the Spirit, verse 16. Walk in the Spirit. And you won't do that. You won't be drawn to do those things. You won't be drawn to do those things if you'll walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? We do a whole series on that, right? But really quick, you walk in the Spirit, but be constantly time with the Lord, realigning yourself with the truth of Him, walking with Him, submitting to His Lordship, surrendering to Him, right? Like Romans 6 says, consider yourself dead to sin alive to God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Present your body as a living, as a members of righteousness. How, how do you walk in the Spirit? By constantly being filled with the Spirit, right? Like the Bible says in Ephesians, praying, <clears throat> all prayer and supplication, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 5, uh, be filled with the Spirit, speaking psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another. When you're constantly praying, and you're constantly in worship, in communion with the Lord, surrendering to Him, in line with Him, and constantly aware of the fact that, no, no, I'm dead to that sin. That's not who I am. Oh yeah, that unloving person, that selfish thought, oh, that's my flesh. That's not who I am. No, no, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Walking in the Spirit means you're not living by rules. You're not living by self principles. You're living by the will of God. And it also means you're not doing it in your own human effort. You're depending on the Lord. Because you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. His spirit is in you to empower you to love and to produce the character of Christ in you and give you the ability to do what you wouldn't be able to otherwise. So we've got to constantly keep coming back to the Lord, and we've got to constantly continue to walk in the spirit. Even Jesus said to his disciples, oh, hey, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Every single day, you and I have to constantly be connected to the Lord, abiding in Him, praying, worshiping the Lord, so that we can be mindful and watchful against these temptations. I'm so grateful for the Lord, even more recently, has really helped me to get these things, uh, some of these uh, acts of love, in a more even concrete, specific way in my life. The Lord's been cultivating some of these things in me, and even as my mind will go off and begin to think, well, they should, or they don't, or, wow, that really makes me feel free. The Lord so graciously says, well, yeah, but that's your flesh. See, the problem is, many of us, we think those thoughts are valid. We think, and then we feed them. Yeah, that's true. It's like we're sitting with the counsel of the ungodly. Instead of sitting with the word. 
And we said, oh yeah, that's true, they do. And then we'll go and find people that say the same thing, right? Oh yeah, yeah, they should do that. They shouldn't do that. Well, guess what? Those thoughts are of the flesh. That's your flesh talking. Now, if you are, but the Bible says in Romans 8, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If you're a Christ follower, his spirit's living in you, you're in the spirit. And you can choose, as the Lord's teaching me, oh, that's true. I was even just driving in my car this week and I had one of those thoughts like that. And I said, I think it was the Lord, but helping me, oh, yeah, but that was the flesh. No, that's not true. And then I say, oh, I thank you, Lord. I walk in the Spirit. By your grace, I'm dead to sin alive to God. And so I just throw off that old man right now that, that's not loving, that's judging or angry or self-serving. And I say, Lord, I choose to walk in the Spirit. I choose to walk in love. And I begin to shift myself back into things that the Lord has showed me, goals he's given me. And so a lot of times walking in the Spirit for me isn't a matter of doing it perfect or not. It's practicing. You've got to practice. You've got to work hard. You've got to come to the Lord and let him work on your heart. And you've got to every day walk in the Spirit and let him cultivate these things in your heart. Like this. Like in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says, Love suffers long means patient love is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things No matter what the other person is doing, are you patient with them? Because if you're not, that's not their problem. That's your problem, right? Love is kind. That means the what we do and how we do it. Serving people with kindness. It's not rude. That's referring to the way you speak. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. You know, that doesn't just mean what you say. That's not just referring to cuss words and such. It's talking about how you say it. Because if you've got bitterness and anger and your desire is to hurt the other person and you say it, even if you're like, well, what did I say? What did I say? No, it was, if you meant it to be sarcastic and cutting, no matter, quote unquote, what you said, well, then that was a corrupt or evil word meant to bring death. Oh, but I, all I said was, no, no, don't lie. Don't lie. Right? See, if you sow lying and deceit and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness into those relationships, if you sow words of death, you will not have favor with God or men. I'm convinced if I do what depends on me, if I do what depends on me unto the Lord in the name of Jesus, And I will keep walking in love and faithfulness, which means patience, which means gentleness, which means not rude, but kind in the way I might speak. Speaking words of life, serving other people, not self-seeking, but seeking to serve others. Forgiveness. Doesn't the Bible say forgive as Christ has forgiven you, right? Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Well, that's pretty big. A Christ follower has the right to not forgive. Why is that? Because your life is not your own. 
And you've been bought at a price. And now you are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ who has forgiven you of every sin. So what gives you the right in the kingdom to not forgive? You have no right. Oh, maybe if you weren't a Christian, do your own thing. But a Christ follower has no legal right in the kingdom to ever forgive. I mean, to ever have unforgiveness in their heart. Which is why Jesus can so boldly say as the king of his kingdom, if you can't forgive, then God won't forgive you. (gasps) Why would Jesus say that? Because he understands the kingdom and we don't. We have no legal right. But if you sow forgiveness and you sow kindness and you sow love and serving into people's hearts, you will build their trust and open their heart to you and you will gain favor with them. But let's say that they're unreasonable. Let's say that they are people who are offended at God or you. And let's say they don't ever reciprocate. You'll find favor with God. And I'd rather have that. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? Listen, God knows your heart. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can do all that good stuff, but if you don't have love, you're just a gong. You're nothing. Profits you nothing. Why? Because right actions with wrong motives, it won't please God. He knows. And it won't really bless others. I'm convinced if I walk in this way, I'll find favor with God and people. Maybe not that one person They might have an issue, but I'll find favor with God and people. If I walk in love and faithfulness, most people, I'll live at peace with them. Proverbs 16 says that God will make even my enemies at peace with me. That's what depends on me, amen? If I walk in love and faithfulness and steward the relationships faithfully, the blessing of God will be on me. He'll make even my enemies be at peace. And then there are sometimes unreasonable people that you have done your part, and they're still that way. But guess what? Most of us, we probably haven't done our part, which is why the Holy Spirit can speak to you right now. Do you have love? Yes. Do you need more? Oh, sure we do. That's why the Holy Spirit can come in right now and say, well, you might have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You might have some fruit of the Spirit in you because I've been working in you. But do you want more? Do you want to have a harvest of love? where you can be consistently loving all the time and walk in patience? Do you want to be a person, a man or woman of gentleness and kindness? Do you want to be a person of self-control? The Holy Spirit is the one who will cultivate that in your heart. By the power of the Spirit, you'll produce love. But you've got to do what? Walk in the Spirit. You've got to come and abide in Jesus and let Him cultivate that in you. So what do you need to work on? What aspect of relationship do you need to work on? How do you need to steward those relationships? You might be thinking of that one relationship that's difficult. I challenge you to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? What's my part? And I will do my part. And when you don't do it, you need to just confess that to the Lord and repent. Lord, you told me what to do. I didn't do it this time. But That's part of practice, isn't it? You just keep practicing love, practicing love. When you fall down, you say, Lord, I confess that was wrong. I repent. Lord, what do you want me to do? And you just keep doing it. You keep sowing that love, sowing that faithfulness, sowing that kindness. There's this thing called the love languages. They call them love languages. Five ways people, you serve people. <laughs> Acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts of giving, physical affection, quality time. And usually the way that people talk, it's a particular book. People have one main love language. You know what I do? I just do them all. 
Now, yeah, you'll find that the people in your relationship with you can probably do one primarily. With my kids and even with Michelle, I aim to do them all. To just sow as best I can. I fall short. I just It's a practice for me. Sow love into their heart. Create an environment of love. See, I do whatever I can. You know, lately I've been working on no corrupt word coming out of my mouth. Speaking kindness, gentleness to my wife, even to my kids. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're, dis, they're not obeying. And I'm tired. Oh, you know, a couple months ago, I was kind of getting angry. Discipline's one thing, anger's another. And the Lord taught me how to be gentle. I've been practicing it, doing better, not all the time. Where I can be very consistent. In fact, I can actually be really intense. My young, younger son hit his mom. He was spanked because he needs to understand that that is not right. And I looked him in the eyes. I mean, we're talking a little guy, right? I wanted him to be afraid on purpose. I wasn't angry. That's gentleness, though. He said, you don't ever hit your mom. Now, he needs to learn that. I wasn't mad. See, sometimes gentleness, you know, you still got to correct people. But you know what you're doing. You're not out of control. Sometimes I do those on, things on purpose. But generally, all they need is consistency, consequences, gentleness, kindness. This is what I'm working on. What are you working on? Kurt, use in response. Ever hear a message that like socks you in the gut? Because that might have been one of them. Um, so when I think, Lord, I know I've fallen short on that, I usually pray a few things. I acknowledge the fact that God is my source. Because if I'm sinning, I'm really sinning because I don't believe God is going to take care of my needs. God, how can I look to you? How can I, look, how can I be other-focused? Who's going to look for me? God is. So one way I pray is I just simply declare the truth because I've been believing a lie. So I will lead you in response here in a second, and we're going to do that. We're going to just say, Lord, I acknowledge you're my source. You will love me even when no one else will. But guess what? God, there's loving people in my life. I also tell the Lord, God, I commit to do this. Because you see, I need his resources, but he won't resource something I'm not committed to do. So I need to actually commit to do it. Father, I commit, and we're going to do this. I'll lead you in this. We're going to commit. Father, I commit to do what you're calling me to do. But once I've committed, then I ask for help. I say, Jesus, you know me. I need wisdom. I need strength. But I got it in you. I'm not, praying. I'm not begging God. I know I have it. But he did ask me to ask for it. So we're going to respond that way. But I had this sense earlier before we started the service, and I wasn't sure why, and now I know why. It's going to take time. Some of you have to believe God for a season before you're really going to see fruit in this. And the Lord is telling you, trust me for that season and you'll see that I am faithful. But some of you are going to try it tomorrow like, dude, I was loving, I was faithful. They're not loving, they're not, got it, I'm done. You might just try it this afternoon and just give up. You're like, dude. But I feel like the Lord is saying, some of you need to hear this. It's going to take time. And if you fall on your face, you just get up and do it again. Father, I acknowledge you're my source. Father, you're going to help me. Thank you, you're going to help me. 
Father, help me, and I commit to do this. So stand with me right now. Let's do that. And prayer teams, can you come up too? Because um, I meant to invite you up when, when I came up. You might need someone to partner with you in prayer for this. There might be some strongholds in your heart. You might just know, I've been believing this lie, and I want someone to pray with me. There's power in our agreement. There's power in our prayer. And the, um, these men and women of God um, are going to believe God with you. If you have something wrong in your physical body, we're going to pray for healing. Why? Because we believe it's God's will that you get healed. This morning, not tomorrow. I'm not talking about God's time. I'm just saying God's will is that you be healed. So let's pray for that today. If you, you know, if you need any breakthrough, come up. But for this specifically, you know, let's do. Let's close our eyes. Let's raise our hands. And if this is you do it don't make it up but just just repeat this after me if this is you if you're committed to do this say father oh you are my source say that again you are my source i believe you love me i believe you love me unconditionally you will supply all my needs you will supply all my relational needs you are a good father When no one else is, you are a good father. You're a good friend. Father, I commit to love and be faithful. Say that again. Father, I commit to be loved and to be faithful. Father, help me. Help me. And I thank you that you're going to help me. I thank you that you're going to help me. I thank you that you don't... Um, sorry. I thank you that I'm not begging you. I'm believing you. You're going to help me. So church, let me just pray this over you. I declare over you right now in the name of the Lord that as you would trust the Lord, He will prove faithful. Yeah. Yeah, I see it right now. There's a door open before some of you. You have never been to this place before. You never believed you could have freedom before, but you're starting to believe it right now. I declare this room that you have never... Oh, man. There's like a room. I just see it in the spirit. There's a room of, of grace in your relationships. You have never tapped into some of you, and you're about to receive it, but you need to trust the Lord, yet He will help you. I declare that He has mercy and grace for every need. So I thank you, Father, that you're doing that over people this morning. Father, we receive that. And we're going to take a second. If you haven't given your life to Jesus... You can do that right now. You don't even know what that means in its entirety, but you feel the tug in your heart. Let's just the whole church do this. Just pray this with me. And again, the prayer is not special, but it's you committing. If you if you sense right now that you need to give your life to God, pray this with me and then go up to the prayer teams. But let's do this as a church so no one feels like singled out. Say, Lord, I make you in charge. I make you in charge. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I receive your life. Because you took my sin. I thank you that I'm now in the family. I thank you now that I'm whole. And that you're continuing to make me whole. Amen. 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 So if that was you for the first time, or if you need any other prayer for anything, I invite you to come up to the prayer teams.